Okay, so I'm sitting here with Sal Gilberti, who's president of Tucrium Funds, which are a collection of agricultural ETFs. And Sal is going to give us a quick overview of what the Tucrium Funds are about. Okay, we're, we're about giving investors um, convenient and easy access to a transparent, liquid, non-leveraged exposure to direct commodities, and in our case, agricultural commodities. So the big, the four largest agricultural products um, are corn, soybeans, sugar, and wheat. People don't have an opportunity to gain direct exposure to those things unless they open a futures account or actually trade the physical. Um, most of the investing world is realizing that you should have commodities in your portfolio, and we'll, we'll get to that. But um, it's really important to have ags in your portfolio. Most people have gold, and most mm -hmm. people have oil. Um, the fact that they don't have ags is actually quite a mystery. It's certainly us. one of the uh, main areas of commodities trading. It is. And it, the last thing people will do is allow themselves to be cold or hungry or their animals. And so everybody's got energy in their portfolio. But Correct. the fact that they don't have the food sources in their portfolio. And are you one of the first or the first uh, company to offer these funds? We are the first to offer exchange-traded products, not exchange-traded notes, but exchange-traded products that are fully collateralized, no, no exposure, credit risk to the investor um, in corn, uh, soybean, sugar, and wheat. There are notes for wheat and sugar. But in corn and soybeans, we are, we are the sole participants out there. Okay. The this may be a good time to mention that you managed to get uh, some of the attractive tickers for the Tucrium funds. I'll, I'll let you describe it. We did. It's, it's very simple. Corn, C-O-R-N. Uh, soybean is S-O-Y-B. The wheat fund is wheat without the H, W-E-A-T. And the sugar fund is cane. C-A-N-E. And then we have a fund of our funds. So if someone isn't sure which agricultural product to own, they may not have enough expertise, but they know they want exposure to those really main core to the global economy, ags, um, they can buy the Tucrim Agricultural Fund. And the ticker is TAGS. Tucrim Ags is what it is. Okay. And it, it is a fund of funds, so it's fully invested at all times, 25% weighted with each of our sub-funds. Now, our funds are designed to mitigate what's called contango and backwardation, which is um, a factor that um, can be a, it, it affects performance. And so in the, the trading com commodities can be complex. We try to make it as simple as possible to, for the investor. We take care of buying and selling the futures contracts. Nobody's going to have a, a truckload of corn pull up to their, their front yard. Um, and, and you can have this core exposure and we'll manage some of these, these issues. And our, our funds are what they call second-generation funds, next-generation funds, if you will. So they, they are designed to not have the kind of um, effects that can happen in a futures curve, which is very complicated. Mm -hmm. An ordinary investor, their investment results are going to be affected by them. So the, the most important thing in buying any ETF or ETP product is look at the benchmark design. That is going has to suit your investment criteria. And our funds are designed to uh, for people to buy and hold them so they can have a long-term exposure. And how we do that is we buy out the curve, meaning we buy futures contracts that go pretty far out the calendar. Mm -hmm. And the further you get out the calendar, the less um, speculation there is and the more just the purview of professionals in there. So that's where we're putting your money. That's when your money. I want to talk a little bit about the your your structure and 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 how you go about doing this because okay. these are really the mechanics of how the funds are, are created, which is to a large extent proprietary. Okay. 
But before we get into that, I'm curious to know if you could uh, give us um, maybe in three sentences uh, a few words on your own background. And one question I've been dying to ask you, which is how you came up with the Turkrium name, which is very interesting. Sure. Um, my background is uh, commodities trading. Um, I started at Cargill right out of university in 1982 trading leaded gasoline. And so my, my entire career has been energy and agricultural trading, mostly over the counter and out the forward curve for large companies. And so, you know, I've been a professional uh, institutional trader, if you will. Um, Tukrium, my family's an agricultural company. Uh, my family's a, my, my dad is a very large grower of live herbs, and one of the herbs is Live called, herbs. Herbs, that's okay. right. Interesting. And, and one of the herbs is called Tukrium germander. It's a popular mm -hmm. herb, uh, just decorative, grows wild on the hillsides of the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. And I, it was a nice-sounding name, so Tukrium trading. Very nice. I thought it was So something nice. we can uh, render our portfolios a bit more decorative Correct. With, with your funds. Correct. Let's hope. It, uh, and substantive. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, so let's go back to the mechanics of how you, um, you, you put uh, the money to work. Can you describe you know, to the layman how, how that's done uh, you know, operationally? Uh, you talked a little bit about you know, buying in terms of the duration on the mm -hmm. curve. Anything else you can, uh, you well, can say about that? That's this? an important question. I think all investors, when trading ETFs or ETPs, need to understand that it, the, the structure of an ETF or ETP is to reflect the value of its underlying asset. And so the amount of shares purchased or sold really doesn't affect the price. What affects the price is, is what the exchange-traded product trades by itself. Right. And how that works is um, exchange-traded products issue more shares when there's greater buying demand for shares. And we take the shares back. Mm -hmm. We redeem the shares when there's big selling demand. And that's what keeps the price reflective only of the underlying. So when you're buying, say, the corn fund, um, and an important note is never, ever use a market order in any ETF. Always put a limit price. Interesting. Because um, the prices are calculated by machine because they represent something else. So mm -hmm. the corn ETF traded on the New York Stock Exchange holds a basket of corn futures. They're actually traded on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Mm -hmm. And so a machine is figuring out where it can buy corn on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange in the formula that's laid out in the, in, in the corn funds benchmark and what price it can sell to an investor. And right. it, it will, so an investor can buy any, literally any number of shares or any dollar amount of, of corn or any other ETF if they do it carefully. And, and by that I mean do it intelligently. Understand what the underlying value is. So there's something called um, a uh, exchange, well, IIV, intraday indicative value. And you can actually find that on any uh, machine mm -hmm. that you're using for a quote system. Um, members of the general public on Yahoo, for instance, the, the thing above the letter six, the number six right. on the, it's called the caret, I believe, is that little inverted mm -hmm. triangle. You type that plus your symbol. So in the case of corn, you would type caret, mm -hmm. C-O-R-N dash I-V, and that stands for indicative value. And Interesting. Every right. ETF has this. And um, I can you I can do that on some of the popular websites like like Google Finance. Correct. They may have a different it okay. may have a different symbol. You'd have okay. to find out. But right. I know I happen to know the Yahoo one off the top of my head. Okay. But um, you mean the Google the, Google Yahoo oh, Yahoo okay. Finance okay. Is, yeah. is that okay carrot symbol dash yeah. IV and, and that stands for indicative value. Okay. And every fifteen seconds, every exchange traded fund on in in the United States. Mm -hmm. It, there, that indicative value is calculated and posted somewhere. 
So even on ill, well, nothing, no exchange traded fund is really illiquid because of this. You're, sure. You, yeah. you can you can you're continually creating new shares to to meet the demand. Right. And so, if you trade when the underlying market is open, so if somebody wants to put a, an enormous amount of money into the corn fund, they can do it. They can double, triple. They can do by a factor of ten the amount that's already in there. Mm -hmm. Put it in. Do it when the corn futures are open. Pay attention to the indicative value. Understand that a market maker is going to want a penny or two or three from right. you. Interesting. But you're going to get filled. Okay. You're going to get your fill. And so be careful. Use limit prices and understand your trading. That's really, really important. That's useful that, information. That's a lesson that all investors should should really know. A market order is an attack order and it confuses the machines. And the machines are actually programmed to shut off and call for help. And so a trader Nowadays, there are traders trading hundreds of funds. Now, it, it's physically impossible for a trader to make you a price. Mm -hmm. He's really not paying attention to the, the ETF you would like to buy. Right. The machine is. Mm -hmm. And when a market order comes in, it overwhelms the system. The system is programmed to shut off, and it calls for help, and the trader reprograms. It happens in a few seconds, literally. But that's why flash crashes happen. Most people do not understand the mechanics of how flash crashes mm -hmm. actually happen. And there are thousands of them each day in individual stocks. This, is, this was a case, not to digress too much, but this is a very interesting point you're making. So when, when you see when, when a flash crash does take place, it's a, um, a result of a number of market orders that have been placed and overwhelms the ability the, the the ability of a human a human a person to respond as, as opposed to the machine well it actually uh, overwhelms the machine and oh, so okay. no matter how fast the machine is um, remember a human programs the machine and the human has his own capital at risk his own money at risk so he's going to program that machine to shut off and stop taking right. risk for him right. when it gets confused okay and so a machine is is so for instance okay the machine is calibrated to sell 5000 shares of corn on the new mm -hmm. york stock exchange and buy an equivalent amount of futures dollar amount of futures and convert that okay and it's probably wants to do that at a one or two penny profit very very small minimal profit but there's going to be another band so the trader will do a band say half a percent away from indicative value mm -hmm. and he'll program his machine to do 3000 shares and then he'll do say a percent away from indicative value at a thousand shares mm -hmm. and then he'll put in a hundred shares at five percent away and then he makes the machine call for help so if, if an, a market order right. goes in all right it's actually an e-trade market mm -hmm. order from a retiree in florida can shut down a supercomputer that trades in microseconds because an attack order, a, a market order says buy everything that's out there right now and the machine literally does not have time to recalibrate and so it will okay. shut itself off and call for help. Okay. So that's why a person should never okay. ever use Very a market interesting. order. That's really Be important. Before I started uh, running the tape, um, you, were sh you were starting to show me a table uh, regarding population growth, do you want to talk about that? Sure, we we have a table, and there, are, uh, you know, you can go to the United Nations website. You can go to our website, mm -hmm. tukrim.com, and it, it go to the literature section or education, and you'll you'll find all this information. And we do it as a as a service to investors. Sure. But the population of the world in general is growing at between seventy five and seventy seven million people per year. So mm -hmm. that's the increase in population each year. That's actually double. Uh, the population in California approximately each year. So that many new people are coming onto mm -hmm. the planet and they need to use things. They need to eat. So, need to so eat. every five years, actually less than five years, you're creating another United States population. Pretty much, yes. Yeah. That's correct. 
And so, and they're all, all obviously newborns. <laughs> yes, they're newborns, but they instantly require resources right. to sustain. Sure, of course. And yeah. and what what happens is because we're the the big ags people, mm. so we've done the calculations just for the, the the large crops grown here in North America and South America, corn, soybeans, and wheat. So, the amount of arable land mm. that needs to be added to the existing farmland on planet Earth each year to support that increase in population is twice the size of the state of Massachusetts. Okay. So to support... So every year you have to add two Massachusetts that's equivalent of arable land. That's correct. And it has and to be arable. Where, where are we likely to find this much spare arable land that hasn't been uh, plowed yet uh, or, or planted? Well, yet? right now, the, the first and foremost thing is you, you increase yields on your existing land. But even with that factored in, that's how much land you need. Okay. So everything's staying the same. Right. So... I, I think South America. And by America, the way, is there still a lot of potential for increasing those yields, or are we are we? Uh, that's a matter of contentious debate, and and I'm not sure. I think we've we've seen the yields rise dramatically mm -hmm. over the years. Um, it seems to be I don't want to say leveling off, but the rate of growth is certainly declining. And then you have you know drought. So even if you have a, a super seed where mm -hmm. it used to yield 100 bushels an acre, and now it's 200 bushels an acre. In a drought, nothing grows anyway. Right. And so that that's the issue. Okay. And so, um, and let, last question on this issue of the yield. Uh, in this country, we've probably you know done kind of maximized or are close to maximizing the yield. But what if we look at other regions of the world? Um, you know, let's say South America or, or Europe, are they also kind of at the same level as, of, of yields as we are here? Absolutely or? not. Europe okay. is, is pretty high. South America is very low. Um, and, and they need to implement modern farming practices and mostly modern equipment. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a so huge there's potential there to get to some, increase some of what we in need. South America. Okay. And sub-Saharan Africa is, you know, an area that, that all of the big agricultural, multinational agricultural companies have in their sites because... You know, there's there's arable land. So somebody told me that this is where the biggest unexploited reserves of arable land, if you want to think of it that way, are located. Is in sub-Saharan Africa. I believe that's that, true. Okay. I believe that is true. And uh, is the soil there amenable to the same kind of uh, yields that we that we see in comparable regions of the world? Or um, are there I are there, are there reasons be. that are specific to Africa? Where? There probably are, and, and I don't know the, the, you know, the microcosms right. there, but, but all the areas can be, because when you apply modern farming practices, look at even in the U.S. the advent of computerized tractors and, and GPS satellite mm -hmm. analysis, where they, they're literally applying um, fertilizer every three feet. It can change. Mm -hmm. It can change with the composition of the soil, and that—that's that's only amazing. been five. It is. That's it's incredible, amazing. and that's only been the last five to ten years mm -hmm. here in the United States. We're 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 absolutely the leading edge on that technology, right. and so that you know, the, the, look at this. Isn't that everybody's going to starve? That we're going to run mm -hmm. out of land? The fact is that there's an a surge. There's an increasing demand, a very steadily increasing demand that is substantial. Right. Okay. And so... No, and I do believe, I think what, what you're saying is the technology has managed to, to a great extent to keep up or even to exceed mm -hmm. the growth that's been needed in the past. That's right. And even though there is still, unfortunately, starvation in the world, I think um, we've, we've, uh, we've managed to increase the yields and to increase arable land at a pace that's greater than the population demand has been so that far. That is correct. So that hopefully correct. If, we can keep, if we can keep on that trajectory, 
we can you know we'll address the that. population growth and and reduce uh, hunger in the world. That's true. Yeah. Now, um, what's really important is that there are a couple of charts. When you look at long-term charts of demand for grains, it's a pretty flat line. It's obviously an upward sloping from left to right because your demand is steady, but it's 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 a fairly consistent pattern of demand, meaning the line is flat. It grows at a stable rate. What happens with supply, when you plot the same thing, it's much more volatile. And that's because, um, well... You have droughts for one thing. Yeah, the biblical things of floods, fire, famine, drought, they actually happen to farmers. And if you look back in history, every five to seven years in one of the major crops, soybean, sugar, Mm -hmm. corn, or wheat, there's a crop failure or some sort of interruption in supply. Mm -hmm. And so agricultural markets like uh, oil markets, if you will, okay? But agricultural markets react very quickly because you have one year growing cycle or less. And so when there's a supply disruption, the demand does not fall until the price forces the demand to fall. And so a supply disruption causes an upward move in price. That can eat demand because demand is not completely inelastic. Sure. That said, if the price stays the same, it is inelastic. Mm -hmm. And so the price doesn't stay the same because you have these blips in production. So on a, right. a production-driven markets like ags, where the, the demand is steady, so it's, it's changes in production, up mm-hmm. or down, that are going to affect price. You have farmers responding quickly. One of the um, arguments at the institutional level for uh, ag investing and being very careful with it, which is prudent, okay, is that... Farmers can turn around, can answer a supply deficit almost instantly, meaning in one growing season. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have enough gold in the world, it takes you a decade to dig a mine, sure. get it going, and then it has a you know a depletion rate of 50 years. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have enough oil in the world, it takes you weeks or months mm-hmm. to develop an oil well. It might take you years to develop a field or an offshore well. And then you have a depletion rate that, that usually lasts a few decades. The interesting part about grains is that, yes... You can respond instantly. The farmers will respond instantly to a spike in price and answer with bigger demand or bigger supply if the, the growing conditions are right, and that's out of everyone's control. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is when you dig an oil, a, a, a gold mine, there's gold in there, and the gold comes out, and all that gold stays on planet Earth. It just stays here. It doesn't rot. It doesn't rust. Mm-hmm. It doesn't decompose. It's here. Right. Um, oil is yeah, Somebody told me that a very large share of the gold that's in circulation is has is recycled gold uh, in, in, in the sense that when you go and buy a piece of jewelry, the odds are maybe not very great, but are, are not negligible that that same gold was present in a piece of jewelry that was, that was previously sold. There's to no question else. because once it comes out of the mind, it's recycled right. because it doesn't, it doesn't go away. That's right. It doesn't go away. Now energy is burned and goes away. Um, and food so is do, consumed. Food is consumed. But the issue with energy is you dig a well, you have 20 years of life in that well, if you drill a well, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. But it's right. decades, usually. Mm-hmm. When you harvest your grain and it becomes winter, if you don't plant new seeds again the next year, you run out of food. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. So the grain stockpiles that we have, they're not multi-year stockpiles. In some cases, they're multi-month stockpiles. So were there ever to be a global catastrophe where Mm -hmm. something were to happen, say, genetic engineering, Mm -hmm. genetic modification of seeds that were pervasive throughout the globe and there were an issue with them, that's a really substantial potential problem. Right. Because um, 
And you can look up. The USDA publishes it. We have it on our website. Mm -hmm. The amount of stocks left. Um, so the whatever is in inventory today mm -hmm. or at any time mm -hmm. is generally of the order of, of months. If, uh, but not, that's not, correct. Not, For things like corn, soybeans, right. and wheat, that's correct. Let me ask you a question, which, um, you know, um, in comparison to some other commodities, um, the, pr the, glo the price of, of these ag commodities is, is a global price for, for all of them, or are, d does it vary by regions? Uh, these big ones we're talking about are global. So, okay. so uh, in fact, we've been asked many times to do a rice uh, ETF because it, it's... And that's regional? It's regional. It okay, simply doesn't trade on a global okay. global nature, so it's not traded. Um, it's traded internal in the borders where it's grown, mm -hmm. primarily, whereas mm -hmm. corn is traded internationally, soybeans, wheat, sugar, same thing. Okay. And so that, Are there big differences in price for for rice? Um, I don't know, but yeah. I know that, that it's so regional yeah. that you can't right. you know you can't have. I know that some countries country. are very protective of their rice. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Well, that, yeah. that same issue happens with sugar, right. and you know we see it happening with, um, say, taxes in South America. So, the, they will put an export tax, and in fact, the Russians just just announced. Uh, the last few days, there's there's a, a an export tax on on wheat coming out of the Black Sea area, Russian controlled territories, mm -hmm. and I believe in Ukraine, and they want to have enough food supply internally. But when they do that, that immediately affects global supplies, mm -hmm. and 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 so you see that reflected in the in the price of wheat. Right. Gold. So going back to the demographic question, um, you know, we're now in terms of world population at uh, a bit more than seven billion people. Mm -hmm. On UN estimates uh, for the medium variant estimate, uh, I believe for 2050 we're looking at potentially a bit more than 9 billion people on Earth. Uh, most of that growth will take place in places like India, Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, so the question then is, um, you know, coupled with the increase in, in, in the raw numbers, mm -hmm. There is also hopefully an, an improvement in standard of living. Um, so, it, do we have the infrastructure in place to get, you know, assuming we can add the two Massachusetts annually to the to the arable lands? Do we have the infrastructure and the logistics that are necessary to get it to the incremental people to be born and and to be that are moving into the middle class? In, in, if, I, I think we will. Money. I don't think it's there now completely, but you know that's what the big ag companies focus on is infrastructure. Right now, in in, in central and, and northern Brazil, there's nothing but infrastructure going on. They they they're trying to pave their roads, uh, get the rivers navigable mm -hmm. for barges, build rail lines. So logistics. In fact, there's there's enough food in the world. To your point earlier, we actually do produce surplus food every year. Mm -hmm. People starve to death because of logistics and politics, mm -hmm. and the, the food is withheld mm -hmm. from them. It's not. Right. Um, it's not that there isn't enough food globally. Mm -hmm. So, um, the interesting part that you bring up, though, is that this this growing global population in areas that are um, BRIC countries or other emerging nations, mm -hmm. the some of the UN studies say that the the global middle class, and that can be defined as a, in as little depending on what country you're in, is it ten extra dollars a day. Okay. The global middle class will grow by 1.2 billion people. We'll have to look this up. I, I have it referenced, but it's, it's either by 2020 or 2025. Um, here's what's really interesting. In mature economies, using the United States as an example, we use a lot more stuff per capita sure. than in 
non-mature cat mm-hmm. in these emerging countries. Right. So as they gain affluence, they're actually their rate of consumption goes up of each commodity. That's just right. what happens naturally. Interesting to us is that in, in many, many studies, they've proven one of the very first things people do is increase the protein in their diet when they start mm-hmm. getting a little bit of disposable income, mm-hmm. climbing up the social ladder, if you will. And that creates an immediate demand for grains. That's that's the number one global use of grains. And that would be animals. corn primarily? Or? Corn and soybeans okay. and, and wheat. Okay. Corn, soybeans, and wheat. Primarily so, corn and soybeans. Interesting. Okay. So that's, you know, people, they, they see emerging markets, they see... Um, an emerging middle class, and they, you know, they go out and they buy platinum because mm-hmm. platinum's used in catalytic converters, and the people are going to buy a car. Right. But long before they buy that car, they're going to eat more meat, and right. that means they're going to. And we've seen that experience already in some Asian countries like China. And Absolutely, up. Okay. China's importation rate of soybeans in the past two years, the growth in it is staggering, is absolutely staggering, and mm-hmm. it's to feed their swine herds. And there are private estimates floating around out there that say by 2025, if the herds keep growing as rapidly as they are Mm -hmm. in China, all of the soybeans produced last year on planet Earth for every reason, Mm -hmm. that amount of soybeans will be needed just to feed the swine population in China in 2025, 10 years from now. Now, that's a private estimate. You you can look Mm -hmm. at it. But the point is there's enormous growth there. Mm -hmm. And um, when... Farmers respond quickly with high supplies, which forces the price to go down cyclically in eggs. That's when people, you know, that might be a good time for people to consider putting it. It would be interesting to see also how yields uh, may be improving in some of these countries themselves. Absolutely. And there are studies that you you know you can look at. China I'm guessing that many of the uh, the farms in in some of those countries don't yet or probably are not even close to using the latest technology that would bring yields uh, up to you know, that's very true levels. but the, the, the South Americans are coming much um, uh, much more uh, they're increasing their yields faster than most people because in China one of the issues was um, during the, the, the revolution um, they they broke uh, agricultural plots into very small mm-hmm. um, you know, areas so people could hand till them, and so there aren't big corporate farms. There, there aren't the per, there Even isn't today. the pervasiveness Even today, of corporate then, farms. Okay. They're trying, okay. but you know, to get a John Deere tractor to, to you know do hundreds of acres in right. a day or thousands of acres in a day, that that's, that's not, more not difficult seen. in China than, right. than say other places because of Interesting. the you know how they for decades how they they allocated land over there. Right, so that's a structural thing. So, but that leads into. Commodities. Wait, before you, we do that, when, when we mentioned uh, droughts, you, you reminded me because, uh, you know, Brazil has had some droughts in the last mm-hmm. couple of years, and that's, uh, that's really impacted the price of coffee, and that's, that's, that, that's a bit outside your, your direct uh, uh, tucrium uh, effort, but do you have, do you have a view on, um, you know, on coffee in general, whether that's also going to be carried out by that wave. I, it's of, an agricultural crop, so with the same fundamentals. We're not trading coffee, so I, I, know I can't speak directly to it. But there's no question that all the agricultural crops are sensitive to water. In fact, some people use agricultural investments in agricultural crops as a water proxy. It's pretty hard to invest directly in water. That's true. Right? But, you know, no water, no crops, so crops are like a, the next closest thing. Right. That's actually a very directly. good point because from my experience, many people have search for ways to invest in water, you know, knowing that there is water scarcity in in many parts of the world. 
And you're saying that this is a good proxy to invest in water. That's very interesting. That's what people are telling us. In fact, we have um, associates um, or just people that call us that, that we meet that have traveled to the Middle East and China, mm -hmm. Middle East and Asia in particular. Mm -hmm. And they, they say, you know, there are, there are these um, depleted uh, water sources in the Middle East where there used to be uh, fig groves. There used to be these a variety of different agricultural products that are gone now mm -hmm. because they don't... Um, um, I forget the, the aquaculture They're not term. replenished. They're not replenished, right. And so, you know, our, our products trade on the New York Stock Exchange. Mm -hmm. But when people come back from the Middle East, they say to us, I wish I could invest in this because I, I'm people from the Middle East are so sensitive to the fact that you can deplete water permanently, mm -hmm. right. that, that they understand the importance of actually investing in the crop as a interesting. proxy. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's, that's, okay. that's, that's uh, an interesting thing. Now, the other thing is that... Um, you had, you had said something that keyed another thought. We started talking about Brazil and, uh, or prior to that. You oh, were, you oh were yeah, about okay, you said about, about coffee. Trade. No, but we have had, I don't, I don't know if people remember, but the, the, the highest price wheat has ever traded in the, in the United States futures price was because of back-to-back -back droughts in uh, Australia mm. years ago, with probably a decade or so ago. Okay. We, we can look up when it happened. But and then, of course, we had the back-to-back -back droughts here in the U.S., which caused the price of corn to go from, you know, in the threes a bushel to, to $8 a bushel. And so understand that whatever the agricultural crop is, whatever, uh, uh, wherever you're planted, part of the, the global diversity, part of the importance of getting corn, soybeans, wheat grown, not just in North America, but also in South America, also in Sub-Saharan Africa, also in Australia, also in Asia, is because you don't know where the next drought or pestilence or whatever it's going to be is. And so part of multinational companies' uh, ability to hedge is they actually hedge regionally, not just for political reasons, but actually more importantly for uh, geographic reasons for crop failure. And in fact, there, there's an interesting anecdote, you can look it up, about um, chickpeas. Because apparently most of the chickpeas in North America are grown like in, in the Pacific Northwest in one or two states. And the, the the United States government, the Ag Department, is trying to get to ex-tobacco farmers in Virginia and in the South to grow chickpeas so that they have this geographic diversity in case there's a crop failure because the demand for chickpeas and hummus, oh, basically hummus things products right. are going up. And that, that's... Water is a really mm -hmm. critical thing, but it's not just water. It's sure. There are crop failures. And so to the point of when agricultural producers, farmers, respond quickly and more supply comes in and you have a downward cycle, just as we've seen in some of the ags, particularly corn, mm -hmm. soybeans, and wheat, um, and sugar, for that matter, globally for the last few years, that's a time that investors need to look at their portfolio, make sure they have enough ags in there because ags are really critically important. It's not just golden oil that should right. be in I mean, people that I, know, that I know who invest in ags, um, so far anyway, have done it indirectly via some equities. Right. And that's, that's good because they're in the um, supply chain. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a period of low prices like this, you can achieve some gains. And so, you know, exchange-traded products... Um, that invest in agricultural companies, that, that's a good alternative when agricultural prices are down. But direct investments in commodities do balance a portfolio. That's mm -hmm. been proven in study sure. after study. Geert Roanhorse did that, his study in 2003, 2004, Yale. Um, and he basically proved the efficacy of investing in commodities directly, direct mm -hmm. investment, direct exposure in your portfolio. Institutions embrace that immediately. Um, 
the general public, some investment professionals, RIAs, and things like that, they're just literally starting to embrace that now. And Two Grams products, our oldest product is corn. It's only four and a half years old. Part of it is familiarity. Most people think that in order to invest in commodities outside of energy or, or, or gold, that they would have to buy futures and that's know, right and and the, the the beauty of these exchange traded products is you don't have to um, manage the risk complexity leverage of futures you right. can go right into the new york stock exchange trade it like a stock if you trade it carefully paying attention to the indicative value using limit orders versus market orders you, you can participate with the professionals and so um a really you, sorry go, go ahead. ahead you were going to say something uh i believe uh regarding the timing as to why you think this is a good period. Yes, because we're in a down cycle. And what happens is if you look back every five to seven years, there is some sort of crop failure somewhere. And when there's a crop failure, the, the price you know, really moves rapidly and dramatically. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, and how many years has it been since we've well, had... Well, corn, we've had back-to-back -back two good years. Okay, so, you know, which explains the sell-off of the last six or seven months? Or? That's correct. That's absolutely correct. Or actually, the last it, peaked, it peaked in 13, I believe. Or, yes, uh, and, okay. and you know, so we've had two good years, and last year was a record year. So the past mm -hmm. six or seven months decline is, is due to that record year. Right. But that said, I think what most people don't know, and there are charts that, that prove this, but over long periods of time, the big four ags correlate less to the S&P 500 then do the precious metals and buy, and then do energy. And so people have precious metals led by gold mm -hmm. in their accounts um, for diversification purposes. Those, for hedging in case hedging, the S&P 500 right. stop, stop perform, stops Cor performing Correct. As well. And so they're looking for, um, everybody's looking for non-correlated assets. Mm -hmm. That's a different investment category, okay? But if you want to stick with exchange-traded products, Everything's correlated to a degree, so everything's positively sure. correlated, but some things are less correlated than others. Sugars is the least correlated almost always on 20-year studies. If you pick your 20-year time period mm -hmm. of the trade in whenever the S&P 500 is trading, you look back and correlate um, commodities to them, especially single commodity, commodities available in single commodity exchange-traded products. So there are 14 of those. Um, we have a study on our website that includes 13 of them. We don't include gasoline. And your website is tucrium.com? Tucrium.com, right. Okay. And I'll, I'll spell it here for people who don't see uh, any of the documents. T-E-U-C-R-I-U-M.com? Correct. Okay. Correct. And if you look under the literature section, there, there's a multitude of, of you know user-friendly articles there okay. that can be used. Call us with questions. Reproduce them if you want. They're in the public domain. They're, they're for everyone's use. Um, but the interesting part of these correlation charts that show that the, the grains really cor correlate less than gold. So how would you take advantage of this? Well, a down cycle in grain, everybody's looking at their portfolio. And let's just say um, we, we hear often that a standard allocation to gold is 5%. Many, many people with whom we speak say they have 5% of their AUM gold. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, fine. But... Um, what happens when gold goes up and it becomes six percent of your portfolio? You rebalance. That's what they do. So whenever you rebalance, right. um, there are two ways to rebalance. One is by the calendar. So you do it on a time period. Do you do it quarterly, annually? That's your preference with your financial advisor. That's fine. Or you have a value band. You say, you know what, gold is when gold gets to be more than seven percent of my portfolio, I'm going to rebalance no matter what the calendar says. Well, the interesting part is if we know that gold, oil, and ags are all critical components that probably should be included in a well-balanced right. portfolio. So if the gold to ag ratio or the gold to oil ratio or the oil to ag ratio, whatever you're looking at, when you rebalance, 
you need to look at that. And it so happens that... Um, Hold on, I think, I think I know the next point okay. that you're getting at. So this is important to emphasize here. You're, you're essentially making two points in terms of the attractiveness of the, of the, of the asset class. Mm -hmm. You're saying, number one, there's, there's a timeless uh, uh, argument, which is that at any given time or for any given 20-year period, in the case of sugar, but something similar for the others, um, the correlation of these uh, commodities to the S&P 500 is, is lower than it is in the case. Of, you know, this is kind of a timeless argument. That's in correct, other words, yes. in, have an investment. This is an argument that says have an investment in this asset class at any time. Yes. And I think what you are about to, uh, to say next is that now, even more than other times, it's, it's, it, it, it may be more desirable to some people for the reason you're going to enunciate. Correct. And, and gold, for instance, which is a very popular portfolio diversifier, has been trading freely in the United States since 1976. And so we have a 38-year history of trading gold. And there's an interesting ratio that we saw in a Bloomberg article. And it's, it's footnoted in an article on our website about this. Um, and we'll update it quarterly because it's so much data if we don't, we, we just update it quarterly mm -hmm. rather than monthly. But the amount of, the, the number of bushels of, of a grain, and let's say corn, mm -hmm. um, that you could buy with the proceeds from one ounce of gold, that, that's a ratio, okay? And so the mean, it so happens that the mean average, the 38-year mean average, the number of corn bushels you could buy with one ounce of gold has been 165 bushels approximately. Okay. And so... Um, that, that ratio has gone as high as 377 bushels as of September 30th, 2014. Okay. Um, it's it's uh, right now here in the first quarter of 2015, trading between essentially 290 and 320 bushels. So still very trading. elevated by historic standards. By historic standards, it's almost twice the mean average. And okay. it so happens it's the same. This, it's mm -hmm. almost twice the mean average for wheat, for sugar, for soybeans, and for corn. And so these these big four ags that correlate less with the S&P 500 than does gold mm -hmm. over long periods of time are so out of balance that if a person looking at holding them as you said as almost a permanent holding in their mm -hmm. in their portfolio you would look to rebalance. And mm -hmm. so many people hold so much gold. The, the, mm -hmm. There are, you know, many many gold investments out there in which people, you know, choose to right. invest that are in the decabillions. They're, they're you know, 30, 40, 50 billion. So there's maybe an time. argument for people who are interested in a hedged position. You could make, an, not you, but someone could make an argument that uh, this may be a good time to go short gold and, and long one, one of these commodities. Or, you know, many people are, are not interested in a hedged position but want to be invested in both. Uh, then this is when we can talk about this is being a good time to rebalance more aggressively away from gold. You know, you may still have your gold position, but instead of having 6 or 7%, maybe you have 5% and you allocate that 1 or 2% to the, to the grain uh, funds. I think that's correct. I think yeah. that, you know, and if you do simple math, if something is almost 100% over its mean, if it mean reverts, right. the amount of gold that you sold to acquire whatever the grain it was that you bought, if it does sure. mean revert, you can then buy back twice as much gold as you sold. You end, sure. you know, now, you're, you're balancing dollars, so it doesn't really work that way. But that's pretty substantial. And, and for right. people who want portfolio diversification and they want, um, in essence, 
a, a lower correlation to the S&P 500 mm -hmm. in some commodity-based asset that they're holding, they really should consider you know, looking at the grains against all the other commodities that they're holding. But okay. it, so, it so happens that gold is very popular. People are following the ratio out there besides Duke Graham. Um, okay. And it's, they're easy to trade. It's very liquid, very easy. These gold ETFs and, and, and exchange trade, all exchange-traded product, commodity-based ETFs. Mm -hmm. If you trade them prudently, intelligently, and when the underlying futures market is open, you have all the liquidity you need. It's certainly uh, very compelling points. Sal, we've been at this uh, 40 minutes now. Do you have any final points you'd like to make before we wrap up and uh, I say, think, say goodbye to everyone? Uh, yeah, I, I, I thank you for the opportunity to have done Absolutely. this. I, I cannot uh, overestimate, you know, obviously we're the agricultural people, and but we, we cannot overestimate the importance of making sure that if you're interested in commodities in your portfolio, that you have a large enough agricultural exposure. Because yes, they're cyclical, um, but when when you catch them at a low point and then that inevitable happens, it, it really can be beneficial for you. And, and so, you know, rebalance, check with your financial advisor. And I think most importantly, trade all ETFs and ETPs prudently. Never use a market order. Always be aware of what their value really is trade when their underlying markets are open and I think you'll you'll have some success. Great advice. I'm going to use just a few sentences to sum up if you don't mind. Sure. So uh, as a, my, my uh, take on this is first we have a very powerful demographic component which is undeniable and which is on its own uh, momentum for the next 20, 30, 40 years world population will be growing and there will be increased demand for uh, foods and also an improvement in the diet for, for a lot of people as they move into the middle class. So that's number one, the demographic component. Secondly, you made a very good point about the low correlation of, of, uh, of uh, this asset class versus the S&P 500. So a very compelling argument in favor of diversification uh, for long-only port portfolios. But uh, also, and this gets us to the next point, um, in terms of today uh, being uh, a good time to invest in these commodities because uh, in relationship to gold, uh, they have been more undervalued. They are more undervalued now than at almost any point in the last 30 years. Uh, versus gold, that's correct. Versus gold, that's correct. Okay, in conclusion, I'm Sami Karam. Thank you for joining us. I will just say in concluding that I have no current position in any of these funds. Uh, and I'm therefore a completely objective uh, observer here to give you some of the best uh, uh, insight in some of these assets. And I have no contractual experience, uh, excuse me, no contractual agreement of any kind with Tukrium. Thank you very much, Sal Gilberti. My pleasure. Thank you.